23. As we've been going through 2 Timothy, we're now getting to the point of how we live. In fact, next week, whoever has, I'm not going to be doing next week, I'm one of the staff is, whoever has next week, really to me that's the summation of what every one of us is supposed to have. But this today is preliminary going into next week and what we'll be looking at. So we're going to talk about being vessels for honor this morning. All year long as on the football field for our team, we've been looking forward to last Friday night. On our schedule was East Texas Chargers are from Longview. They were undefeated last year and undefeated this year. In fact, our kids all year long have been saying, I just hope we don't get 45 by them. And then six man, that means game's over at halftime if you're 45 points behind and you don't play the rest of the game. And we're having an up and down season. So Monday I had Bible study. And so I, what do you do when you're playing a giant? There's a good Bible study in there. David and Goliath. So I did the David and Goliath story. But I did a little different than probably what they had ever heard before. That what David did in taking out Goliath was, was genius, smart, well done. And the reason I say that is I've been to Israel and I have been where the battle took place between David and Goliath. I've walked the fields. Some of the things that people don't realize because you just when you read your Bible, you don't get all the story involved in it. When you stand there and look around, suddenly everything starts making a lot of sense. The Goliath had to walk about three-quarters of a mile twice a day to get to where Israel was, to get to the base of where they were at, and he would holler up at them and challenge them, as you know the story very well. But how much weight was his giant carrying? Now remember, he is uh, uh, nine foot nine inches tall. That's about how tall I am standing on this stage up to here. His feet, though, would be touching the floor. I'd look like a shrimp next to him if that was happening. I'm going to take it, David, was about my size because he becomes a great warrior. He is great with battling a bear and a lion and all those kind of things. So I'll make him 5'11", 6'1". I'm just speculating because we don't know. But what happened is the giant carried 200 pounds of armor at least. Three-quarters of a mile there and back, twice a day for 40 days. You carry that much weight around, I don't care who you are, you're tired. I don't care how strong you are, you're going to be tired. David comes with experience. He has fought a lion and a bear. That's about two of the best battles you could ever do in life. When I was in Alaska a few weeks ago, a grizzly was about 50 yards from us. He was walking away from us when he came out of the woods. So a bunch of us stood there looking around, making sure we could get to the bus in time if he changed his mind. I was looking around to make sure I was faster than a couple people, which I was, even at my age and stuff. But I would not want, he was about 800 pounds. He was huge. He did stop and glance at us. And I guess he wasn't hungry. He went on and didn't go. I've been next to an angry lion. He was in the cage. I was outside the cage. I was stunned at their strength, their power, their roar, everything else. David took those two out. So a giant's not a real big deal to him because he got experience. And he brought speed to the game. He's fast. He's quick. He didn't, I asked the kids on Monday, what about the armor? And they said, well, it didn't fit. Well, I bet it fit. But he said this. It had nothing to do with fitting. It had to do with the fact that he had never tested it out. So he wasn't going to try something new on the giant. He was going to take his experience, what he knew, what his skill level was, and he would go after it. And so I, I told the boys, you've got two things that we're going to do against this team this weekend. 
We're going to bring our speed. We're faster than they are, and they are weak on the ends. You can beat them with your speed. Second of all, we've been practicing all year for this. You bring your experiences, and we can make this happen. At halftime, I stood in the dressing room with our boys at halftime and said, you're doing exactly what I asked you to do. It was no-to-nose, toe-to-toe. But then we got out in the third quarter. I could still shoot them. Uh, we made a mistake. They scored. We made another mistake. They scored again. Now we're 20 points behind what would have been a close game. What happened then is what, so this is where I want to get with the sermon today. The boys folded. They began to gripe at each other. They began to mock each other. They began to attack each other. We couldn't stop it on the sidelines. They were mad at each other. You made a mistake. You're running the game for us. And over and over, I watched this begin to unfold. We have another pastor on the team. He and I were trying to be pastoral at this point. Get their kids' mind back in the game. We didn't do it. So we lost by four touchdowns. We were never in the game after that. I wonder how many times, that's boys on a football field who can't handle pressure. I wonder how many times you and I fall into that same category. And when the life becomes tough. See, when we were winning last week, by, we scored 70 points. Every boy was happy and jumping up and down. But this Friday, when life hit us hard in the third quarter on a couple of our mistakes, they turned on each other so quickly it wasn't even funny. Kind of like Israel did Moses out in the wilderness. After a great victory, they would turn on him so quickly they turned on each other. So what I want to do today is take you to a point of where your character is supposed to go. I got in the car after my wife says, what do you think about the team? I said, don't call them a team. I said, we're as talented as anybody in the state. We're as good as last year's team, but we're not a team. We don't have the character to be able to go much farther than what we've done so far. That's a football field. That doesn't have long-term significance in anything. But what we're here today to do is to challenge each one of us so that the character that we should have because of who Christ is should so impact us so that when we face the real battles of life, like many in Israel are doing tonight, facing the real battles of what life is about, facing evil no-to-nose and toe-to-toe, or when we go through some of the stuff we do in our own lives and we have to face those moments, how should we act and how should we respond? So if you'd stand with me, I'd like to read verses 20 through 23. This is setting up for next Sunday, 24 through 26, but let's lay the foundation today. And here's what it says. Now in a large house, there's not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware. Some for honor, some will go to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he'll be a vessel for honor. He'll be sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now, Timothy, I need you to flee from youthful lust. I need you to pursue righteousness. I want you to pursue faith. I want you to pursue love. I want you to pursue, uh, I lost my place there, peace with those who call upon the name from a pure heart. I want you to refuse ignorant and foolish speculation, knowing that that produces quarrels. Now, it seems a funny place to stop, but we'll stop right there. Father, speak to us in a clear way. We've been given the greatest gift in all the world, the gift of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have called us to give evidence of that by how we live and how we react in life. Christ in us is a hope and the certainty of glory. We have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I, we who live, but Christ lives in us. And as we live, we live by faith in the one who gave his life for us and who loved us. 
So, Father, help us to see that there is a reaction that should happen in all of our lives if we take seriously what Jesus did for us. Now, watch over and guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was talking with the coach from East Texas. I liked the guy. Great man. And he and I were talking afterwards. He said, you know, I, you know why I'm doing this? He said, because I'm not trying to produce football players. I'm trying to produce men, good men, great men. And I said, well, you're doing a good job. I was highly impressed by everything I saw. See, I want you to know something. When I stand up here to do something, I'm trying to do what I've done for so many years. My priority is not to do anything for me, but to all of us that we'll move in the right direction and make the right decisions in life. So what should be our priority? When I read these verses, and I think these are verses kind of that we run through our Bible studies and stuff, we kind of go through some of these quick. We kind of read them but don't really think about them. So I want to stop and look at uh, these three or four verses. What's the priority found in this one? If you notice in the middle of verse 21, is to be vessels for honor. Every one of us are to be vessels for honor. Now, let's think about it this way first. It's the Lord's work to make us as he sees fit. You say, well, what do you mean by that? When I'm a high school young man, and I graduate and I'm 5'4", and weigh 120 pounds. I don't like who I am. It's not fair that I'm a little kid. It's not fair. I didn't, listen, there's some serious things going on in my head when I'm leaving to go to the University of Texas. My whole life was to be a great athlete, and I wasn't a great athlete. I was okay, but I was not a great athlete. Didn't have the physical ability to be able to do any of that. I did not like who I was. I won the national math test, but I didn't consider who wants to be a smart student. I wanted to be a great athlete. I didn't want to be a smart student. My brothers, I thought, well, I won't ever be the great athlete. Maybe I could sing. My brothers are great singers, all state. As I've joked a few times in the pulpit, nobody's ever asked me to sing, ever. It's not going to happen. I don't have that kind of voice to be able to do it. I really, when I left to go to UT in Austin, I, I really was not doing very well in life at that particular point. And I wonder how many times most of us, we don't really like who we are, but I want to remind you of something. Romans 9 has a very interesting chapter, but I want to just make a point. It's not the gist of the whole thing there, but it's that simple verse in verse 20 that says, O man, who are you to answer back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? See, God's the maker. He's the potter who shapes the clay. And he's made each one of us just the way he wanted us to be made. We're all different. There's none of us the same. We have different skills and abilities. We have di different ways of how we look and how we react in life. But God had a way of working in each and every one of us to make us just like he wanted. And what he wanted to do is this, and I love this in Romans 9:23. He did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy. We're all vessels. And the, where we want to go today is to be vessels of honor. But the, before you can ever be a vessel of honor, you have to be a vessel of mercy. You have to experience the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And he's done that to probably everyone in this room will confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a vessel that he has bestowed his mercy and his grace upon. And so now you've been given this unbelievable place in life. The riches of everything that he has for us in life are ours in Christ Jesus. But I want to remind you something. 
We have no control how we were made for this life. God created us, made us just like he wanted us to be. He created and made each one of us just the way he wanted us to be. So we have no control over that. And according to verse 21, some of us are silver and gold. Some of us are wood and earthenware. But in vessels, all of those are important. Each vessel plays an important part in the way that the house would be operating. You needed all these different types of vessels for each different thing. Well, God's done the same thing for each and every one of us. And I'll remind you of Psalms 139, verse 13, when it simply says, I formed you. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. And I give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God created and designed you for this day, and the way he made you is so that he can fulfill something very special within your life. See, we are vessels made according to God's plan for his church, for his glory. Now, what Paul says, though, is, though we have no control how we're made a vessel in this life, we, are, we do have control over whether we would be vessels of honor or vessels of dishonor. See, I think true freedom, we talk about the free will of man, I think true freedom only comes when you come to Christ. Scripture says we were all slaves to sin. I think when you come to Christ, you finally have the freedom to really live life and the freedom to be what God's called us to be. So Paul's going to tell us what? Well, he's going to tell us, I want you all to be useful. He'll do that in, in verse 21. Now let's stop a moment. This is Steve Branson, me standing here in front of you. 70-year-old man. I, I, had, I have to have an MRI this week because my neck is messed up badly from getting hit the other day. and So they're talking about doing major surgery on me. We'll find out. So this body doesn't work quite the way it used to work. It's an earthen vessel in one sense. But I have the most amazing treasure on the inside. I have the most amazing treasure in my life. The treasure's Jesus. I take it serious. I don't know about you, but I take that serious. I have been gifted. The greatest treasure has been bestowed into me, Christ in me, the hope and the certainty of glory. And though the outer man may decay, as Paul will tell the church at Rome, excuse me, at Corinth, the inner man's being renewed every single day, being made stronger every single day. So that whatever comes in my life, Steve will face it, handle it, walk through, not on my strength or ability, but on God's grace in and through me. So this old vessel of mine is filled with the very presence of Christ. But what he wants me to do with this earthen vessel that I have, he wants me to do what? He wants me to cleanse myself from some things that is not a part of my life. Those are, those are decisions I make. I want to bring him honor and glory. That should be the heart desire of everyone in here. And in doing that, we'll become vessels of honor for him. And what he says in verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself, if you see there in 21, if you cleanse yourself from these things, now I'm going to come a moment to these things because that's very important what he's talking about right here. But I want you to know something here. In the Greek, I know most of you don't know anything about the Greek and you could care less about it. But this is a third-class conditional sentence in the subjunctive. I know that means absolutely nothing. But here's what it does mean. This hadn't started yet in your life. 
Paul to Timothy, you're just now here. Now, Timothy, here's where you go. It's probable, which means this is going to happen. This happens to all believers, that we cleanse ourselves. We walk away from these things. Now, stop for a moment. He's also referencing something else by this section. He is referencing Korah's rebellion. Through some of the word usage we hear, we know this goes back to the Old Testament Korah's rebellion. Do you remember what happened in Korah's rebellion? Moses is the leader of Israel. Korah wants to be the vessel that's the leader, not Moses. And he is filled with bitterness, resentment, anger, and therefore he's critical in attacking Moses. This section of Scripture is going back to that story. So I want to stop and make our observations. You know, life can rob us of the rich colors of life. It's a strange thing to say. Well, no, because I had cataract surgery on Wednesday. Some of you know where I'm going with this because you've been there. My dad, when he had cataract surgery years ago, he lived in Tyler, lived on Emerald Bay on the golf course, and I'd go up uh, while Mom was still alive before he moved. I'd go play golf with him twice a year for about three or four days. And so I go up and... We're out on the golf course, and it's a gorgeous golf course, amazing place there on Lake Palestine, Palestine or whatever. And we're standing there, and Dad's doing this. I said, what's wrong with you? He said, son, look at the colors. I said, colors? My dad could care less about colors. He said, son, the colors, they're so real. I know what he's talking about as of Wednesday, this Wednesday afternoon when I got home. You know what I came to realize through my cataract surgery? That through the years, my vision has grown dull. It's turned to sepia instead of vivid colors. There's a yellowish, brownishness to everything. And I've never even noticed it. I never noticed that life was changing, that life was having an effect on me, my eyes and everything else, but it was. I wonder how many times life has been coming at us, and after a while, we've kind of stopped trying to be what God's called us to be. Life's a little bit too difficult, a little bit too hard. And it's just a gradual thing, but no longer are we wanting to cleanse ourselves from these things. And in a moment, I'll tell you what these things are. But if you're not careful, that's why I think coming to church and being among believers and being in a Bible study and having discussions is important because it's moments to try to stop us and make sure that we're not just gradually, slowly drifting in a direction we don't need to go. There's more to life than you and I can ever imagine if we follow what he's called us to do. So that's where I want to stop. Now let's look at these things. Paul tells Timothy to cleanse himself from these things. Well, if you know 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you know he's already had this discussion. This discussion has already been held in detail in the first letter. In chapter 6 through 11 and following, he says, I want you to flee from these things. And now in this letter, he's saying it again. If this young man's going to give the kind of leadership he needs to give to the church at Ephesus in the midst of the most difficult of, of places, he's going to have to have a character about him that's real and will be sustainable and will act correctly in all situations that happen in life. So he's already told him again. He's telling him another time. This is going to be his last letter. Paul's going to be killed after this. So he's giving this young man final instructions so he can do it. In 611, it says this, I want morbid interest and controversial questions Leave them alone. Christianity is not getting into a Bible study and we argue about what words mean. Argue about what we think and others think. To get in arguments about that, he's saying, I don't want that from you, young man. 
And he's got false teachers all around in this this church. There were four or five of them by name. He says, I want no more disputes about words. Because when you argue like that, you cause envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicion. Young man, I don't want constant friction between you and others. You know there are some people that you walk on eggshells when you're around them because you never know what's going to happen. He's telling this young man, you're not going to be the cause of the friction. You're going to empty yourself of these things. He said there are people who think godliness is a mean of great gain. He said you're going to know that you're not doing this for what you get out of life. He's going to say this to him, a lack of contentment is dangerous. A lack of contentment, not happy with where you are, what God's doing in your life in this day. And he said the desire to be rich, the love of money, will bring you down faster than anything else. That's what these things are. So now when he writes a second time, he uses the exact same phrase and exact same words. This time, here's what he says in our passage. Verse 14, we didn't touch it last week, but I go back to it. Do not wrangle about words. Same exact word, literally same exact phraseology that he used in 1 Timothy 6. Because it ruins people who have to listen to you fighting over everything. Avoid worldly and empty chatter because all that does is lead to further ungodliness. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculation. Because that becomes apparent of fighting. And young man, do not be contentious. Never look for a fight. See, when I was talking about my football team a little bit ago, that's what happened to us in the third quarter when they began to blame each other. See, a lot of times for a lot of people, I did what I did because you made me do it. It's your fault that I acted this way. 1 John 1, 9 says, if somebody says they have no sin, they're a liar and the truth's not in them. The sign of Christ being in me is I confess my sins and he's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And I also found out the kids who were doing the worst stuff on the sidelines were the ones who were making the mistakes on the field, but they were blaming everybody else for the mistakes. What he's telling Timothy at this point, young man, I need you to get away from all that kind of stuff. I need you to grow up and be a man. I need you to grow up and I need you to live life. You know, a lot of times we think this little friction stuff and arguments and and fighting over stuff is just life. Well, never forget Romans 13, 13. It impacted, I believe it was Augustine when he came to Christ when he heard these words. But it said this, let us not behave as in, let us behave properly as in the day, not at night, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. And of course, being good Baptists, we know something. If you're carousing and getting drunk, you're not living a good life. Or if you're involved in sexual promiscuity of some kind of sensuality, you've got your life messed up. We go amen, amen, and agree to all of that. But then he adds two more things. Strife and jealousy. Those are more good Baptist sins that we kind of allow sometimes than the others. But strife and jealousy, he says, those who practice such things shall never inherit the kingdom of God. What he's telling this young man is, you've been given new life. Christ is in you. I told the kids on Monday, how you act on the field, let it reveal to the other team Christ in you. I will remind them they didn't do a very good job of that. In fact, they showed it in such a way that I'd wonder if Christ was in them. That's what Paul's telling us. You know, I grew up in the day, and this is me. It may not have been this way in churches when I was young, but I really thought for the longest 
Uh, Dr. Waters was my pastor for many years. I grew up in the First Baptist Church of Orange. It was a big auditorium. I'd sit as far back the back as I could, and I would be in the service, and I would never hear anything. But I thought if you walked down front, you shook the preacher's hand, say, yeah, I believe Jesus, went to the baptistry, they dunked you under, then you were set and done. You had your fire insurance policy, and that's all there was to it. Because I, that's about what I saw as a kid growing up in Orange. Orange is a town the size of Greenville. And so I'd see the people who were well-known up at the church out in the public life. And it wasn't always real good what I would see, the anger and the tacking and the cutting down and stuff like that. But I thought if you got your fire insurance policy, what do you got to worry about? It's a real shock to me when I was at South Cliff in Fort Worth and Paul Burleson and our pastor took it to a level I'd never heard of challenging us. How do we live? How do we give evidence that Christ is in us? You know, we were big into evangelism back in those days and would have two-week revivals twice a year and really push to get people down the aisle and manipulate and push and everything else. But, but I would wonder how many people were kept away because what they saw out in public was not what we professed on the inside. And what Paul's telling Timothy at this point, young man, you've got a very tough responsibility and it will not be easy. You're going to have to be like a good soldier, hang in there and fight. You're going to have to be a hard-working farmer. You're going to have to be a good athlete in those illustrations he gave. I need you to get out there and be there, deal with it daily. But I need you to bring character to it. If one thing I've learned is talent will take you a ways, but if you don't have character, you're not going far. And so that's what the challenge is here. Go back to Korah's rebellion. Here's what Moses said to Korah. Is it not enough for you? Korah, was it not enough that the God of Israel separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near so that you could serve here around the tabernacle? Korah, was it not enough that God gave you one of the most privileged positions of everyone in the entire nation of a couple million people to be able to stand before the congregation and to be able to minister to them? Are you seeking now for more? Guys, do you know how blessed we are in Christ? Wherever we're at in life, it's the most privileged position in the world. God placed you in that. He made you for that. He gave you the skills and ability for where you're at right now. Well, it's not as important. Well, you know what? Some of us are vessels of gold. Some are vessels of silver. A little kid from, from Longview playing tailback was a vessel of gold. Kid was amazing. In fact, I went up to him after the game. I didn't know it was him. He'd already taken his jersey and pads off, but he still had his, his, his uh, football pants on. And he's standing with his dad. And so we're, I'm talking to him and the coaches and a couple of players. And I, I finally, I looked at him and said, young man, what number were you? I was number 12. Oh, I was hoping you weren't going to show up. He didn't play last week. I said, young man, you're amazing. Your skill and ability out on the field, I have never seen that before in my limited time of doing what I'm doing. The Lord has blessed you. But she said, you know what? You're a good kid too. I was amazed at his character. That kid to me was like gold. I would have loved him being on my team, but he wasn't. See, some of us do get to have blessed with some talents. My brother can sing... This frustrates me still to this day. My brother can sit down at a piano, write a song. 
He can read any kind of music. He plays totally by ear and then still sings great at 68 years of age. I sit at a piano and I play a song and you might not know what it is and it'd be amazing grace. There'd be too many mistakes. And I look at him and he sits there and he just, he and my brother both do the same. They just start playing. They just start making stuff up. How do you do that? God, that's not fair. I said that to my brothers. I said, I used to say it's not fair. Y'all got all that talent. And my brothers looked at me and said, but we wanted to be you. And I wanted to be them. Isn't it sad sometimes that we're trying to be like everybody else instead of who God made us? So we take this and we live life. But where do we go with this? It's one thing to say, don't go over here with this type of behavior, which leads to the last point. We have to pursue more than just cleanse ourselves. So what does he tell us to do? He tells us, get away from that. Run as fast as you can from those youthful lusts. That's what you, youth, we want to fight, we want to do this, we want to argue, we want to do all that kind of stuff. There comes a point you grow up and you're an adult. So you, you flee from that and mean run from it as fast as you can, but you, pers- you pursue something. What do we pursue? It means to run after, to press on with haste, chafed after, set in motion quickly. Here's what you want in life, righteousness. Now you already have the righteousness of Christ. This is living a good life. Living a good life. Second, faith. See, when I say I used to come down front, if you just shake the preacher's hand, you come by faith in Christ, you have eternal life. Yes, that is true. But that's not the end. As you have received Christ, Paul told the church at Colossae, so walk in him. How did you receive him? By faith. How do we walk in him? By faith. Pursue faith. Pursue trying to learn what it is to trust God all the time in every circumstance in life. Life sometimes hits us hard like it did on our football field with our kids the other day. And whatever faith they had the other day, it's gone during the game. And that that character of theirs starts flying through life, and it's not good. Sometimes you're going to be right in the middle of some very difficult times, and you've got to just stand there and go, okay, God, you know what you're doing at this moment. It was 10 years ago in August. In San Antonio, the mayor of San Antonio brought a non-discrimination ordinance to the city council that was the most extreme thing that anyone had ever heard of. The church pastors were called together. We all met to stand against the mayor of San Antonio. We picked uh, a pastor uh, who was one of the well-known pastors to be our voice. When I got back to my congregation on on a Sunday, that was on a Friday, on Sunday, I said, you're going to be shocked at what you hear coming out of the news in the next couple of days. We got wind of it. Here's what's about to happen, da, 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 da. Well, I'm, I had a pretty good following on the Internet. And before long, I get a call from the local TV station. We want to interview you. And I said, well, I'm not the pastor to speak to. You need to talk to Charles Flowers. No, but you're the one we got the, new, the story from. And we, this caught us off guard. We want you to tell us what's going on. I said, I can't do that. I'm not the voice. Go to Charles. We're very clear about that. So I go to a meeting on Monday with all that we had 200 pastors in the room. The TV people were outside. They came, and one of them says, Channel 5, CBS wants you outside. Charles looked at me and said, Steve, go. I said, okay. So I went out. Well, because of that, I became the story. I became the face of all pastors, not Max Lucado, n- not uh, the guy at Cornerstone, Hagee, 
it became Steve Branson from Village Parkway. And so I'm on television and radio standing against uh, Castro, Mayor Castro. When I get a call one day, this was in August, never forget as long as I live, would you debate the Councilman Bernal live TV on this issue? And I was stupid enough to say yes. Sometimes you don't say yes, but I did. I then find out he's a lawyer, very good lawyer. I'm just a preacher. I'm sitting in my office the day before the TV show, live television. I've done TV, but never live, not like this. And we're going to go no-to-nose with each other. He knows the law. He knows the ins and outs. I don't. When I get a call from one of the most famous lawyers in America, and he spent three hours on the phone with me that night, and he got me ready. I went, thank you, Lord. What a gift. I can't believe I got that call. And so I'm ready. Brought my dad with me so he would be proud to see his son on live TV debating this lawyer. We get in there, and just about one minute from live television, they said, Councilor Bernal will not be here. He was never coming. He was never coming. They brought a gay Methodist minister in to sit in his place. And the opening question on live television to me, my dad said, I saw it later, when I got asked the question, I went, And what I was thinking at that moment was, this is a setup. And I've been put in a position to ruin me on live television. What do you do at that particular moment? It was real. Forces of evil sometimes are very fascinating. One of the most famous TV people in all of San Antonio lied to me so bad it wasn't funny and set me up to make me look bad to destroy the position we had. took a deep breath after about a 10 second delay and I dealt with the issues and I just responded I could have done something I could have said God why did you set me up this way because it cost me before it was over with but yet I won over many in the city because I dealt with it here's the thing you're going to get blindsided sometimes in life I have been and you got one or two choices put your big pants on and deal with it Pursue righteousness, pursue peace, pursue truth. Or you can fold under the thing and be mad at God and mad at the people who tricked you and lied to you. I was the number one writer for the Express News until that day. And then they locked me out of my account. The mayor publicly went against me. Publicly. That's okay. I did what God called me to do and do it the best of my ability. I'm not the greatest guy at it. I'm not the best guy at it. But for some reason, God wanted me there at that particular moment. And my life changed dramatically for that. And it's, I would go look back on it and do it every bit of it again. You and I are to pursue with everything we got. Not sidetracked by life, but pursue what God's called us to do. And you know what happens if you do that? Look at verse 21. Here's why we do this. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he'll be a vessel of honor sanctified, useful, prepared for every good work. So where God places you, you will be ready. He can use you. A lot of times you're going, I wish God could use me in some way like that. 
You know what you do? Live daily life. Just live it right. Do it the best of your ability. You're not going to be perfect at it, but live it the best of your ability, trusting in Christ, taking your faith seriously, and one day you may find yourself in a position where God will use you in the most amazing way. Hopefully never like on TV, because that's not a good place to be used on national TV or anything else. But maybe within your setting where you're at, God will use you in the greatest of ways that there is. And your impact and influence will be good. What we did in San Antonio turned out amazing. We won honors and awards for what the pastors did down there. We stopped the mayor from what he wanted. And we turned things around because of that. I look back on that and I'm amazed because you know what I'd said one month before this happened? My wife reminded me of this the other day. It was in the middle of July. We were on vacation. I said, you know what? I'm going to turn 60 in about three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, whatever distant time it was back then. I'm going to do three things. I'm going to play with my grandkids because they all lived there at the time. I'm going to ride my bike, which I did every single day. And I'm going to finish my last five years at Village and then call it quits. I'm just going to live a quiet life and not bother anybody and do what I'm supposed to do and then get out of here and enjoy my last few years. God never intended for me to do that. That never even began to happen. See, you never know where God's going to take you. And when you want to know something, if you are pursuing what he's called you to be, if you take it seriously, you're not involved in these little scrimmages and arguments and fights and contentiousness with people around you, but you're living to try to bring honor and glory to the Father. One day you wake up and you know what? You're ready, and he can use you. And your greatest work may be when you're 80. Wasn't it Moses? Wasn't Moses great at work at 80? Everything was preparation for that. You never know what God's going to do. I close with this. Who was still standing at the end of Korah's rebellion? It wasn't Korah. In fact, you couldn't find him anymore. Who was still standing? Moses. What do we know about Moses? Numbers 12.3 tells us something about Moses. He was very humble. They could have said he was humble, but he was very humble, more than any man on the face of the earth. And God was able to use him. He was a useful vessel. He was a vessel of honor. So what's your driving factor of your life today? Is it to be a vessel of honor? What is your heart's desire today? You know, that's the frustrating thing about me coaching these kids. I know some things if they just would listen, but they don't. They sit with me and when we do devotionals, and they always come up, Coach Grandpa, great devotional. Thank you. I just wish you'd listen to it. I'm serious. We don't do this for fun and games. We do this to challenge each other, to try to be better people in Christ so that we can be useful, so we can impact. And guys, we're living in a dangerous day. Darkness is around us. We need to be salt and light, not salt that's been thrown away because it's no longer useful, but it's real salt. And we do that by character, faith and character. And God will bless that in the most dramatic of ways. And maybe we will see God do something dramatic 
if he'll have a people who'll be willing to be used. Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor you give us to study your word. And I thank you for Paul's lesson to Timothy here. This is one we kind of skip over and don't put a lot to sometimes. But there are some things we just need to walk away from in life. To quit fighting and arguing with all kinds of people about anything and everything that comes our way. Blaming everybody for everything else. But take responsibility for our own lives. You have made us, by your grace, vessels of mercy. But you've told us, now pursue to become vessels of honor. Put that in the desire of every person here, Father, that they will get up this day and move forward and say, I want to be the kind of person you've called me to be, and I want to live my life in such a way that it works. It will affect my family for good. It will affect my church for good. It will affect my community for good. It will affect my nation for good. I want to be what you've called me to be and designed me to be. As my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.